Hello and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information services partner for emerging markets executives. We partner with business leaders at over 200 multinationals by providing them with research, analytical tools, and data that helps power their emerging markets business strategies. The focus of today's conversation is our latest research series on doing business in Southern Africa. I'm Mark McNamee, analyst for Central and Eastern Europe at Frontier Strategy Group. And I'll be moderating today's conversation with Anna Rosenberg, head of FSG's Sub-Saharan Africa Research Practice. Anna, welcome, and thanks for joining me for this discussion. Hi, Mark. It's a pleasure talking to you today. Wonderful, Anna. You have just released a series of Doing Business in Southern Africa. Could you summarize how this fits into the wider research agenda, since you have released similar series on East and West Africa? Sure, Mark. As our clients are expanding deeper into Sub-Saharan Africa right now, we are putting research out there to enable them to operate more efficiently and capture the opportunity. So this year, we've actually focused our research on the theme of going deeper, with a particular emphasis on the continent's various sub-regions. We wanted to understand how the opportunity actually looks like in East and West and in Southern Africa, as well as the actual operating structure. What is the best operating structure for our clients? Where should they set up offices? Where can they work with distributors? Which markets can easily be reached from which market, etc., etc. We also looked at the talent landscape in different sub-regions and the topic of regional economic communities and how multinationals can take advantage of these in the different sub-regions. Okay, interesting. So that's in very general terms. Can you describe further what the series is about more specifically? Sure. The series that we're going to talk about today is, of uh, of course, about Southern Africa. It's about the opportunity as well as the best operational structures in that specific sub-region. That's because both the opportunity and the typical organizational setup are changing right now. Mm. Are there still missing pieces? Yes. Later towards the year, we're going to release a piece on the SADC Regional Economic Community. Um, so our clients can actually figure out how to take advantage of that. Okay, so let's talk about it now in more detail then. Let's talk about the first piece of the series called Assessing Opportunities in Southern Africa. What is your definition of Southern Africa? Which markets does this actually cover? So in our definition that we used for this piece, we are looking at South Africa, Angola, Zambia, Mozambique, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Namibia, Malawi, Swaziland, Lesotho, and the Indian Ocean Islands. So quite a lot of different markets, as you can imagine. I see. And what's the key message? Well, I think the key message is that Southern Africa offers one of Sub-Saharan Africa's best operating environment. And it also is one of the largest region. When you look at it in combination, it has a GDP of about 600 billion in 2014. So it's the second largest region in Sub-Saharan Africa. But the issue is that multinationals tend to focus on the region's biggest markets, South Africa and Angola specifically. But these two countries are currently facing quite tough times, economically especially. And as our clients are maturing in Sub-Saharan Africa, executives need to look beyond those two markets for opportunities in other smaller markets in the region. So why is this research piece important right now at this moment? 
Well, because multinationals are maturing in sub-Saharan Africa, as I alluded to earlier, they are expanding beyond the major markets in East, West and Southern Africa, and they're going to begin to more actively explore opportunities in the smaller markets in the continent, including in Southern Africa. And this new interest in smaller markets in the region, combined with the expected slowdown that we are already witnessing in Angola and South Africa, means that during the next several years, multinationals will increasingly focus on identifying and capturing opportunities in the smaller markets of the region. And that's why we wanted to help our clients better understand it. Okay, so this is a pretty large region, of course. You're covering about 12 markets in that research series. Are there any common drivers of opportunities for our clients? Indeed there are, and that's a very important point, and I'm glad you're asking this question, because the region is highly diverse, and you can only really group markets by opportunity by looking at common drivers that are shared between groups of countries, right? So the common drivers in the region, for example, are a large middle class, but also high levels of government spending, and commodities among others. But of course, that depends very much on the countries that you're looking at. It's important for each company to understand these drivers because they are going to shape the key markets they should be focusing on. For example, if you want to sell into a large middle class, it's better for you to focus on Zambia, Zimbabwe and, um, and Angola. But if you are keen to tap into fast growing government spending, it makes more sense to focus on Mozambique. Okay, so bearing that analysis in mind, how would you then tier the region by opportunity for our clients? It's obviously very sector specific and it depends on who your customers are. And um, you should definitely try to look further beyond the largest markets as I was to, uh, alluding to earlier. But overall, there is a pretty clear tier one to tier three market structure across industries in the region. Your tier one largest markets are going to remain Angola and South Africa. The tier twos are Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe and Zambia. Um, as well as Mozambique, of course. But then there are the smaller markets, the tier three markets of the region, right? That your Lesotho, your Swaziland, your Madagascar, etc. Okay, so let's keep the smaller markets out for a second. Can you give us a brief macroeconomic outlook on the region's largest markets then? Yes, so I was mentioning before that South Africa has slowed down quite a bit. We're going to see that um, develop further in 2016, but it still is a large market for our clients. And uh, they are still seeing opportunity and growth there, despite actual GDP numbers being much lower next year at around 1.3 to 1.5%. Angola, again, a large market, but facing some real tough times because they are heavily dependent on oil and the oil price is going to remain low. Zambia, which used to be quite a fast-growing market and, uh, and an attractive opportunity, has again gone through some pain points earlier this year because they are exporting quite a lot of commodities to China, and that has slowed down dramatically, which has affected uh, the country's exports and in turn is affecting the country's currency. On the upside, Mozambique is still growing strongly and it is uh, benefiting from heavy government spending right now. And it's one of the more attractive markets in the region, but overall it is still less developed than other markets there as well. So that's something our clients will have to keep in mind. Mauritius is an established market and a safe bet, but it's not necessarily a large and untapped opportunity. It's right. It's, it's fairly well known, fairly well served. And uh, similar things apply to Namibia and Botswana. They are doing well overall and can be easily reached from South Africa. Okay, great. So thanks for the clarity there. Uh, let's move on now and talk about the second part of the report, about building an efficient organizational structure for sub-Saharan Africa. Why did you focus on this in the report? Well, most of our clients have sold indirectly into Southern Africa out of South Africa. But that's not necessarily an efficient strategy anymore. 
because opportunities in Southern Africa are going to be favored by the companies that have a local presence. And companies that don't have a local presence are going to risk falling behind competitors. Right? It is, it's, it's not enough to basically just serve the markets with distributors from South Africa. And um, for example, to give you some more specific highlights here, companies can only really benefit from heavy investment in public spe- sector projects and strong consumer spending in Angola if they have a presence in the market. There's no way you can do that just by importing, especially now where, have, where we have seen quite a lot of import um, bans being implemented and uh, taxes going up. In Zimbabwe, the market is currently going through quite a dramatic informalization of the economy, and it has a largely underserved consumer market, and it is creating a lot of opportunities for less risk-averse companies that are investing in understanding the real local local dynamics that are difficult to see from the outside. Okay, so for my next question, and you kind of alluded to this when you spoke about Angola, you state that companies have to be close to the markets that they're selling into. So why exactly is that? Well, in order to serve consumer demand, to capture the mindshare among decision makers, which is a very important thing, especially if you're selling to other businesses or into government projects, but also if you want to manage local distributors more effectively, you need to be close to the markets um, that you want to sell into, particularly now as competition is intensifying, not just from Western multinationals, but also from other emerging market-based players and local competitors. Being close to the market, however, doesn't necessarily mean that companies need to hire a country manager for each country. That would be too much, of course, right? We're talking 12 markets, more than that. But multinationals should start to consider hiring a regional manager for a cluster of markets who can then travel frequently to other markets in that cluster. Okay, understood. But of course, there are still a lot of markets in this region. So what do you need to do to pool resources efficiently? Well, to use resources efficiently and avoid comparing apples to oranges, executives must group markets both by opportunity and also, and most importantly, by compatibility. For most multinationals, South Africa is the largest revenue contributor in their Southern Africa portfolios. So if South Africa actually forms part of the same portfolio of smaller markets in the region, multinationals will end up dedicating much greater focus and resources to South Africa which means that smaller markets are going to be under-resourced and underserved, And that's happening a lot right now. So multinationals should cluster markets together by opportunity and compatibility and implement then tailored strategies that give smaller ma- markets the attention they deserve without overstretching resources. And that kind of clustering allows companies then to be closer to the markets without the need to open an office and hire a country manager for each small market. Right, but... It is, of course, really complex and difficult to cluster markets together effectively. And this is one of the things I want to discuss with you in particular is because you have an insightful diagnostic in the report, which looks at which markets can be easily clustered together and which ones cannot be. Can you give us some more insight on that? Which markets emerge as the most efficient clustering models, in your opinion? Yes, that's a very good point. So uh, we did this diagnostic and some very clear clusters emerged out of that. So the first one is probably the SACU cluster. It's a cluster that combines South Africa, Namibia, Botswana, Swaziland, and Lesotho. And the other cluster that emerges is the cluster that combines Zimbabwe, Zambia, and Malawi. Then we have Angola really as a standalone. We have Mozambique also as a standalone, but a standalone that you can actually tag onto other clusters. And then we have also the Indian Ocean Island cluster. Okay, and so looking at each of these clusters, what are the key factors that then characterize each of them? 
So the SACO cluster, as I mentioned, South Africa, Namibia, Botswana, Swaziland, Lesotho, share strong cultural, historic and economic ties today that make it fairly easy to manage it as one region in its own right. And the interesting thing is also that that cluster can be divided up further by taking out South Africa of that equation and then just focusing on the so-called BLNS countries, which is Botswana, Lesotho, Namibia and Swaziland. And that can uh, basically allow clients to avoid the, the issue of uh, just focusing on South Africa. Then we have the Zimbabwe, Zambia and Malawi cluster. And those three countries share historic and geographic proximity. And that makes it very easy to operate in the region because you have a similar bureaucratic system, similar uh, regulatory environment and similar legal system. Angola, it's just too large and too complex to manage and tag onto any other market. It's one that you have to take into consideration separately because of the cultural diversity there as well. It used to be um, colonized by the Portuguese, which has brought a very different system today in there than in any other market in the region, not even comparable to Mozambique at all. However, Mozambique is, is um, even though English is much more widely spoken than in Angola, for example, the country also is a little bit of an outliner because it's too small to merit a local presence right now for most industries. But it's a market that is typically added onto other clusters. Sometimes on top, sometimes it's added onto the Zimbabwe, Zambia, and Malawi cluster. But there's a little bit of an odd outlier as well. Sometimes it's managed out of South Africa because Maputo and Johannesburg are just a few hours away. It's really a decision that each company has to make uh, independently and individually, depending on the priorities in the market. And then the Indian Ocean islands, of course. It's, an, it's a no-brainer, they're they islands far away from the mainland, and that makes them into a natural cluster, if you want. Great. Fascinating discussion. Thank you very much for your insights, Anna. Um, with that, we're at time, unfortunately. But if you have any questions, please send us an email at info at frontierstrategygroup.com. You can also go to our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com to see these reports or any other of FSG's resources on SSA, Sub-Saharan Africa. Thank you very much, and good luck in your emerging markets.